Good morning. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there and to all the mothers who are watching uh, through the live stream. Welcome to Evangel. We invite you to stand as we worship this morning. We're glad that you're here.
Lord God, to you. Please come and have your way. Give you our hearts, our lives, our minds, our relationships, all that we have and all that we are. Lord, come have your way. Help us to follow you, we pray. Oh, 
Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of the moms that are here. Why don't you greet one another before you're seated this morning? Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I want to take this opportunity to welcome you here this morning. We're glad that you decided to uh, attend here and be with us in person today. And we do want to wish all the moms a happy Mother's Day. We want to tell you that we're delighted that you're here with us. But we also want to welcome those who are on our live stream this morning. And I think we're having a little trouble with our live stream. So I don't know if you're seeing us or hearing us. But by faith, I'm just going to talk to you as if you're there. And uh, it's kind of like being married. You talk, but you just never know if anyone's listening or if they even acknowledge, right? Right? Moms, you know what I'm talking about. So, but anyway, we're glad that you're here and uh, whether you're joining us either way this morning. We do have a, a, just a couple of announcements today. I just want to remind you that on Saturday coming, uh, we will be doing a property cleanup here at the church. And uh, we're inviting anyone who is available to come, if you could be here, that would be fantastic. Bring your family. And uh, also just want to remind you, just bring anything that you'd need for the cleanup. Bring your gloves or a rake if you have one. And we'll provide bags for, for putting things in and so on. But if you, if you need gloves or a rake, uh, just bring that along with you when you come. We're going to meet at 10 o'clock. We're going to go till noon. And then we're going to serve you lunch before you head out. So uh, if you can be here, that would be great. Also just want to remind you that uh, for the last two years, we actually have not been passing the uh, offering plate on Sunday mornings. And so as you come in and as you enter, there are offering plates there on the table that you can drop your, your offering in. And I know many of you have been availing of that. And of course, throughout uh, uh, COVID, many of you have actually migrated to online giving through e-transfer. And just to remind you that you can do that at any time. Uh, just by sending it to giving at epcoakville.com. And uh, you can just, if it's for missions or benevolent, something specific, you can put that in the message line. Otherwise, just send it and, um, and it'll get to us easily. In June, we are planning to go back to uh, uh, receiving offering like we normally do. But over the next few weeks, we'll just continue with this format uh, until we're ready to go back to that, which we anticipate being the beginning of June. Thank you. Kids, you are free to make your way around, meet your volunteers, head out today. I'm going to hand it back to Tyler and just encourage you to continue to worship. God bless you as uh, you continue to do that this morning. This next song we're going to sing will most likely be new. It came out this year. It's by Matt Marr, and it's called Leaning. And it's based off of that hymn, you know, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning on the everlasting arms. And it's a reminder that we always have to lean or rely every single minute of the day on God. Because we weren't made to do it alone. We were made to be in constant fellowship with him. And, you know, and so it's not like, oh, well, because I'm sinful, I have to lean on him. No, 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 no. In heaven, you're eternally resting on God, right? That doesn't go away. That, that's, that's the goal is that, oh, I finally get it. A hundred percent of the time I'm resting on the Lord. I'm trusting fully on him and I'm allowing him to 
to do what only he can do in and through me so that I'm fully alive, I'm fully human, I'm fully the creation that he intended me to be. And uh, it's just a beautiful song. So I encourage you, you know, if, if you uh, like it, you can go check it out, Spotify or wherever, YouTube. It's called Leaning by Matt Marr. And I encourage you to stand as we sing.
What a fellowship, what a joy divine, what a priceless gift. God, I'm yours and you are mine. Let my restless soul be still and know I am leaning on your everlasting arms. Let my restless, let my restless soul be still and know I am leaning on your restless souls be still. Our God, your word says, be still and know that I am God. And it can get so busy. We can get so preoccupied with so many things. But Lord God, you are the most important. Our relationship with you is the most important thing. Everything else is secondary. Please help us just to slow down, Lord God. And, and if we have busy schedules, to, to learn how to still be still internally and to have that quiet, still space for you in our hearts, even if it's busy out there. Please help us to do that. Just to spend time with you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.
strength of my soul. Your love defends me. Your love defends me. help us to live that way, Lord God, not to rely on ourselves or our own our own anything, Lord God, but to ultimately trust in you and lean on you and look to you in all things. Please give us the strength we need, wisdom and discernment. And above all else, Lord God, please give us your love so that we can love with your love. Love you love all those around us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Our scripture this morning is found in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 to 6 and verse 10, and uh, probably not the most common Mother's Day passage for sure. There was a famine in David's time. And it went on year after year after year, three years. David went to God seeking the reason. God said, this is because there is blood on Saul in his house from the time he massacred the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were not a part of Israel. They were what was left of the Amorites and protected by a treaty with Israel. But Saul, a fanatic for the honor of Israel and Judah, tried to kill them off. David addressed the Gibeonites. What can I do for you? How can I compensate you so that you will 
bless God's legacy of land and people. The Gibeonites replied, we don't want any money from Saul and his family, and it's not up to us to put anyone in Israel to death. But David persisted. What are you saying I should do for you? Then they told the king, the man who tried to get rid of us, who schemed to wipe us off the map of Israel, well, let seven of his sons be handed over to us to be executed, hanged before God at Gibeah of Saul, the holy mountain. And David agreed. I'll hand them over to you. Rizpah, daughter of Eah, took rough burlap and spread it out for herself on a rock from the beginning of the harvest until the heavy rains started. She kept the birds away from the bodies by day and the wild animals by night. Thank you. You may be seated. Those of you who know me, you know that I like vintage things especially vintage toys. I, I love vintage toys. And so, uh, especially toys that were common when I was a kid. I guess you get to a point where, um, you know, that the, the vintage toys were, were your toys. I wouldn't consider myself to be a collector. Some people are collectors. I, I'm not a collector, but I, I do have a few prized possessions that I've collected over the years. Now, because of my interest in vintage things, we'll often visit places that sell vintage things. It's sort of a a day off kind of thing for us. And so when I see something that I really like, there's there's usually a process. There there there's usually a process and and so I'll I'll say I like it and then Jennifer will ask the question, well, why do you need that? Why do you need that? I don't like that question. Why do you need that? And I usually respond by saying, well, this is something that I've been looking for for a while. And so I found it. And then her follow-up question usually is, where do you plan to put it? Which is code for, if you buy it, it's not coming into our house. And so knowing that, I safely reply, I'm going to put it in my office. So if I buy it, it goes into my office But after an acceptable amount of time has passed, I quietly migrate it to the house. It's a process. There's a process. And so on one of our specific outings, I came across this find. I had a typewriter exactly like this when I was a kid. I don't know who gave it to me, but I know it was ordered uh, as a Christmas gift for me from the Sears Wish Book. I know that. Why, I couldn't tell you. Why I was given it, who gave it to me, I have no idea. And it was a toy. It wasn't intended for serious work. And eventually it just got buried in my closet. I mean, what does a, you know, 10, 12-year-old boy do with a plastic toy typewriter? But between January and June of my final year of high school... Out of desperation and necessity, I used this typewriter to create two very important documents. I had nothing else to use. There were were no computers, (laughs) and we didn't have a real typewriter, and so I had to use it. In January of that year, I was applying to attend what was known then as Eastern Pentecostal Bible College, which is now known as Master's College and Seminary. And as part of the application, I had to write an essay. 
Well, I couldn't handwrite the essay. If you've ever seen my handwriting, you'd understand that. And we didn't have a real typewriter, so I went into my closet and I dug out this plastic toy typewriter and banged out my essay on it. And a couple of months later, received my acceptance. In June of that year, I was selected to be the valedictorian for my graduating class. Trust me, no one more surprised than me. And so once again, I pulled out my plastic toy typewriter and banged out my valedictorian speech, which may or may not surprise you that I still have it today at home. As I reflect back, it's amazing to me that such an important, serious, life-defining contributions came by way of this Sears plastic toy typewriter. That typewriter reminds me of some people. At first glance, the expectation isn't high. The anticipated contribution is not very significant. Yet somehow, the most unlikely and underrated people exceed expectations and make some of the greatest contributions in our lives. Today, we're honoring mothers, and many of whom, time and time again, exceed our expectations. Time and time again, have made significant contributions to our lives. So as we do, I want us to consider today my favorite Old Testament character. It's not a hero like Abraham or Moses or Joshua or David or Elijah. In fact, my favorite Old Testament hero is not a woman at all or a man at all. It's a woman, a mother, not a happy woman, but a grieving woman who has suffered great loss. And I, and I believe this is why she's my favorite, because even though she suffered great loss, her commitment in a time of intense grief not only brought honor to her family, but relief to her nation. And her name is Rizpah. Now, you might say, you know what? A grieving woman may seem like that's an unlikely candidate to focus on on Mother's Day, you know? I mean, the truth is, you know, couldn't you just find like a happy mother's scripture somewhere? Well, you know what? The truth is most mothers I know, and I know a lot of them, have suffered significant losses and carry intense grief. Most mothers I know, and I know a lot of them. And God has done some great things in and through the grieving in their lives that makes them heroes to their families, too. And so the story of Rizpah reminds us that God is with us, and we can change the slide here, God is with us in our deepest grief and honors our resolve to do the right thing. God is with us in our deepest grief and honors our resolve to do the right thing. So let's take a look at our story. It begins with poor leadership. Our scripture today occurs early in the reign of King David. We're told there's a famine in the land because it hadn't rained there for three years. Out of frustration and desperation, David inquired of God to find out, is there some reason for this famine 
Because, well, if there's a reason, maybe we can, we can fix it. And so God informed David that the famine was a response to the crimes of the former king, Saul. That the nation was paying a price for the crimes of their leader, former leader, Saul. In Joshua chapter 9, Joshua made a treaty with the Gibeonites that Israel would never harm them. And King Saul broke that treaty. And so as a result, God was not pleased, and he punished Israel by withholding rain from the land as a consequence to their sin. And so the people of Israel were in a desperate situation. Saul's poor leadership negatively affected the whole nation, because as we know, no one sins alone, right? The sins of one affect the lives of many. And so David wanted to make things right. He had good intentions. He wanted to fix this, and so he approached the Gibeonites to make amends. And they agreed on the condition that seven descendants of King Saul be handed over to them, killed in public, in Saul's hometown nonetheless, and to be left buried in public, left unburied in public view in order to bring shame to Saul's legacy. It was a big ask. Proper burial was very important in the Jewish culture, and, and so the request to have first to allow his descendants to be killed and then to be left out like that, that's unthinkable. But David was desperate for resolution at any cost. So he agreed. And so he chose two sons of Saul, born to Rizpah, and five grandsons of Saul, born to Saul's daughter Merib. All seven descendants of Saul were killed and hung on public display and left unburied. Now, this unthinkable and painful event was a result of Saul's poor leadership and David's continued poor leadership because even though his intentions were good, sometimes even the best of intentions don't bring about the right results. And so David had good intentions, but he continued to show poor leadership in his attempt to fix a problem. And in his attempt to fix a problem, he actually created a more painful situation. It's important to note that this is not Rizpah's fault. It's not Merib's fault. It's not the fault of the seven young men whose lives were taken for no good reason at all. It wasn't the fault of the nation that was suffering. They were all innocent. All of them were suffering the consequences because of the choices and the actions of those in leadership, in positions of power. The choices and actions of someone else was negatively affecting all of these people. The second thing we see is unwavering resolve. There are two mothers in this story. Merib lost five sons. Rizpah had lost two. It's a tragic situation. We're not told of Merib's reaction, but Rizpah's unusual response and unwavering resolve here makes her the true hero in this story. We're told that Rizpah was a wife of Saul. Depending on which translation of Scripture you're reading, most translations call her a concubine. But in the original language, she was really more than that. The word used to describe her comes from the root of a word which means second 
And so the idea is, is that she is indeed a wife of Saul, but in the ranking of priority and importance, she, she's not at the top of the list. This is not the first time that she's appeared in Scripture. Each time she appears, it's painful. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, we read that Saul had died and that his general, Abner, forced himself on Rizpah and assaulted her as, as a symbol, an act of power. Just a few chapters later here, two of her sons are brutally killed and her grief is intensified. Losing her sons in such a senseless fashion was one thing, but leaving them out without proper burial for the animals, well, that was quite another. She had no power to change what was happening. Her only power was in her personal response. And so despite her loss and her pain, her heartache, her disappointment, broken dreams, and a very painful history, she decided that she was going to stay with her sons. And so she laid the sackcloth out on the rock. Sackcloth was a, a rough cloth that was made from goat's hair that would make a black wrap. And it would be worn by those who were in mourning. They would wrap themselves in this black goat hair cloth. The roughness of the cloth was strategic in that it symbolized the state of the emotions, the rawness of the emotions of the person wearing the cloth. But instead of wrapping this symbol of her grief around herself, she was going to use it for something better. And so the rock becomes her new home. And she is going to stay there day and night for months if necessary. And she was there for a very long time. Honoring her lost sons by ensuring that the birds and the wild animals did not inflict greater pain on her and her family by attacking their remains. And so she used the cloth to beat away the vultures and the wild animals. Now, I would like us to note something. When you read the story of Rizpah, there are no recorded words spoken by her. She says nothing in Scripture. She just went about doing what was right for her to do with unwavering resolve. The final thing I want us to see is redeeming love. Rizpah's love for her sons and her unwavering resolve in a time of great grief and intense pain resulted in God redeeming some things from her hopeless situation. News of Rizpah's actions and devotion reached the palace. I mean, you know, word was spreading. There's this weird woman who's out there broken by her grief, you know, has lost her, you know, all sense of reality. She's out there on this rock. People are talking about it. Everyone, you know, are, are, are gossiping about it. And word reaches the palace of what's going on. Her actions and her devotion reach the palace. And David hears this news, and it's not just gossip. It, it really impacts him. It, it begins to help him to feel guilty and repentant. And he begins to see the bigger picture of what he's done and what Saul had done. And he was first of all reminded that his good friend Jonathan 
the son of Saul, and Saul himself, well, they had never received a proper burial, that they were hung out in public with the intention of leaving them, and it was only because some people from Saul's hometown stole them away and buried them that they were ever buried at all. And so as he's beginning to process what this woman is doing and and as his heart is changing by what she has done, he decided to return their remains back home to the proper burial place that Saul and Jonathan would be buried in the tomb of their fathers. Her devotion reminded him of the power of forgiveness and the dignity of a proper burial. David was able to do something good for his enemy, Saul. Saul was his enemy. Saul tried to kill him. But he decided to do something good, to put the past behind him, to do the right thing and to find some closure. And so David returned Saul and Jonathan's remains, but then after he did that, he said he didn't stop there. He requested the remains of the seven younger men, the descendants of Saul, and, and they too then, Rizpah's sons included, were buried in the tomb of the king as well. Because of Rizpah's love and unwavering resolve, her sons received the proper burial, a proper resting place, and that brought her some sense of peace in the midst of all of this grief. The nation that was experiencing a famine because of the wrong actions of the former king, resulting in the people starving and desperate and hopeless and powerless to bring change, well, all of a sudden, the impact of Rizpah's love for her sons and her devotion that impacted David, ultimately now impacted in David making things right and the famine lifting in Israel. Her response to her grief brought blessing to others. The rain began to fall, and Israel was saved from the famine. But it started with her. Rizpah's unrelenting love for her sons influenced those around her and resulted in God redeeming something that was good out of what was otherwise a hopeless situation. God was with her in her deepest grief, and he honored her resolve to do the right thing. Loss is an inevitable part of life. I I wish I could stand here and tell you differently, but we all know that loss is an inevitable part of life. We've all experienced loss in some form, and we will continue to experience loss in our lives. We've lost loved ones. Some have lost a marriage. Some have lost a relationship that really mattered. Some have lost a friendship, lost a business, lost their health, lost their dreams. And when we experience loss, grieving is a natural and important part of the healing process. Life inevitably just keeps moving. But loss often causes us to want to stop. We don't don't feel like moving. We don't want to keep going. We want to just stop and stay where we are. But life just keeps moving. And grieving helps us to find a way to keep moving forward even though we have suffered great loss and we just want the world to stop. Experts in grief counseling, and I'm not one of them, agree that active grieving is the healthiest approach to dealing with loss. In active grieving, we cry. 
We express a full range of emotions from sorrow to anger. We talk about our losses and how we're being impacted by them. We take steps forward even though it seems impossible to do anything. We make decisions even though making decisions is hard. We share memories and we do all kinds of active things to help us keep moving as life is moving. In grieving, we are finding a way to keep moving and processing our losses at the same time. Rizpah experienced a terrible situation that she had no control over and was hopeless. Her two sons were gone. And they weren't coming back. They're gone. Life as she knew it was not coming back. Her life was forever changed from this moment on. It was not coming back. Yet despite the heartache of her loss, there was still something important for her to do. And this is really important. There was still something important for her to do. In our grieving, we are motivated by the truth that there is still something important left to do. It's the only thing that keeps us moving. Important left to do. So we live in that tension between the heartache of great loss that we've experienced and finding a way forward because there's something important still to do. In our scripture today, we're reminded of the redemptive power of God. Rizpah experienced a, power, a painful loss, no fault of hers, or her sons, or God, but Saul and David. Yet God honored the faithfulness of this grieving mother by redeeming something from a situation that otherwise seemed completely hopeless. As we read the scripture, we instantly see who we believe are the powerful people. Who are the powerful characters in this story? Well, one might think, well, King Saul was a king. He was powerful. And David was a king. You know, he was powerful. They had authority and they could make decisions and they had influence. They were, they were the powerful people. Yet they used their leadership position and their power to inflict pain and to harm other people. The truly powerful character in this story is not Saul and it's not David. It's a mother. She's the most powerful character in this story. Is a mother who, even though she has suffered the most significant of losses, kept going because there was still something to be accomplished. There was still something to do. And it was her actions and her decisions that ultimately held the greatest power as God responded to her in a redemptive way that benefited not only her, but a whole nation. Rizpah's grieving and how she approached her grieving changed the nation, changed the destiny and lives of the people of her nation. And so this morning, I want to leave with you, don't underestimate how you process your losses. Don't underestimate the power of your grieving process. 
Because God is a redemptive God who is with us in our darkest grief and brings good things out of the most painful and hopeless circumstances of our lives. I'm going to invite our worship team back. Folks, all of us have experienced losses in our lives, and some of those losses are greater than others. Some losses are, are incredibly significant. But regardless of what our losses are, our losses have impacted us, and they have changed our lives. And so the question for us this morning is this. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? Can we see that there is still important things left to be done? Do we believe that there are still some good things that God can bring out of our heartache and our pain and our hopeless situations? Is there anything redemptive here at all? Are we willing to invite God into our deepest heartache and disappointment and ask him to find something in some way to redeem some of this so that some good comes from it? Like Rizpah and many mothers that we know and admire, we are reminded that God is with us in our deepest grief. And he honors our resolve to do the right thing by working in redemptive ways. Would you stand with us this morning? And in a moment, I want to pray for all of us. And as we do, but before we do, we're going, Tyler's going to lead us together. I just want to encourage you this morning. You're here and I don't know what your losses are. I don't know what your grieving process has been. I don't know what the pain has been in your life that you've had to carry. I know what mine is, but I don't know necessarily what yours is. Some of you I know, so I know somewhat, but I may not know what that is. But I want to encourage you this morning to allow God, to, who is with you in this, to comfort you, strengthen you, and bring something my greatest disappointment in pain is that it will be wasted. <laughs> I don't ever want, ever want any pain in my life to be wasted. I want God to use it for something, for someone, somewhere, somehow. Father, would you lead us this morning? Wish 
I could walk through When you don't give the answers As I cry out to you I will trust, I will trust I will trust in you I will trust in you Truth is you know what tomorrow brings There's not a day ahead you have not seen So in all things be my life and bread I want what you want Father, this morning we come before you, and that's our declaration. That's a declaration not made necessarily out of a happy place or a painless place, a hopeful place. It's a declaration made out of a deep place of heartache and disappointment and sorrow and sadness and loss. Out of that place we declare this morning that we will trust in you. Because we know that it's in these moments that that declaration is really the truest in our lives. 
when we can make that declaration in our darkest of times. And Father, I pray that you would remind all of us today that you're always with us in the good and in the bad. You're with us even in the moments where we try to distance ourselves from you, that we just, we want to leave you behind and go off on our own way. And though we may intend to leave you, you never leave us. You're always there. You're with us, even when we don't know it. And Lord, I pray today for those who may be here who are grieving a loss of some form or another, and the loss is painful, and and the world is moving forward, and they're trying to find a way to keep moving as well, and it's hard. And I pray, God, that you would give strength and help and an understanding that there's still something good to be done. There's still more. And so we just keep going. And I thank you that you work in that to bring about things that we never could have imagined bringing about on our own. So Lord, today we just pray and thank you for the mothers especially in our lives, many of whom have suffered great losses, yet seeing the bigger picture of the importance for their families and their faith and trust in you keep moving and going forward, believing there's still something good to be done and how that has influenced and changed our lives for the better. We thank you for them. And we pray that as we leave this place today that your blessing would be on every single mom and woman of influence in this place today touches the lives of all of us who touch the lives of others. And Lord, we just pray that you continue to work in the lives of those who are looking to you, whose whose struggle and suffering right now is still ongoing and they're awaiting answers and resolve. And we pray especially today for Todd and for Gina and for Edith as they day by day keep moving forward knowing that there's an uncertainty, yet trusting fully in you. And Lord, I pray that you'd work a miracle in their lives, that you would respond, touch not only their lives, but their families and everyone associated with them. So we pray these things and thank you today for your goodness. Thank you that you are with us in our times of grief and that you honor our resolve to keep going for that something left to do in a redeeming way in our lives. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. As you exit, there is a little treat for you just to acknowledge the day. And um, God bless you. Thank you for being here. For those of you online, if we can help in any way, please reach out. Let us know. We'll do what we can to help. God bless you. Have a great week.